Acts chapter 1, please. We will uh, conclude, Lord willing, our study on the ascension of Christ. And uh, an interesting, interesting study. Hopefully it's been a blessing to you as we look at the account of the ascension. We'll look at Acts chapter 1, verse, verses 9 through 10. Because we're not, at this point, we're pretty familiar with this passage. But we, we will look into it a little bit more tonight. The Bible says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to meet together with your people. Once again, today we pray, Lord, we ask you for your grace. We ask you to help us learn more about you. Help us, Lord, to increase in wisdom and knowledge in love for you, Lord, and our relationship to you would grow and would, uh, would increase. Lord, we, we confess, Lord, outside of your help, Lord, we have no strength at all. Thank you for each and every person that's here. Thank you for their desire, Lord, to seek your face in the church corporately, their desire to know you better. Lord, I pray that you would stir each and every heart that's here. And I pray that you would help this time to be profitable. I pray that your spirit uh, would uh, certainly do the instruction. Uh, because, you, Lord, you've given us your spirit for that express purpose, to teach us of all things. And so, Lord, we ask you that your spirit would just meet with us. Lord, uh, thank you for the presence of the Spirit of God. We've seen a lot of that here recently in your word. So much emphasis upon the Spirit of God, the person of Christ by means of the Spirit in us. And Lord, I pray that you would, uh, you would just bless our time together and truly meet with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we looked at, this morning we looked at the, at the importance of the ascension of Christ as it related specifically to, uh, to why, first of all, where Jesus is and why that's significant. And also, what, why he is seated and what that indicates in Scripture. And we saw some things that were, were frankly kind of surprising and interesting to me about the significance of one being seated. To be seated means you're finished your work, you're done, as opposed to the priests who stand daily ministering sacrifices. Whereas our Lord was the sacrifice. He himself was not only. And that's something to keep in mind as you, as you think upon the idea of types, you know, symbolism in the Bible, typology. And sometimes you find Jesus, when we studied, when we studied in uh, John 10 about, the, about the, the shepherd as well as the door. Remember that? We studied that and we saw that Jesus was both. In the same context, he was both. And, and you find that in the type. And in Hebrews, that's what we also found. Not only was Jesus the priest who offers the sacrifices, he was also the sacrifice. And so you find those blended together sometimes in Scripture. And I know sometimes it throws me kind of for a loop, and I have to say, well, how can he be both? But, but that's what you find at times. So just keep that in mind. 
And we saw also, so we saw that his sacrifice is sufficient, completely, perfect, perfectly uh, sufficient. And that's seen by the fact that he sat down. But we also saw his intercession. And that's seen by his, the, the, where he is seated. That is right next on the right hand of the Father. And so we'll see a little bit more about his ascension that is significant tonight. Uh, the first thing I want you to see is, as we saw here, they, as they were gazing up into heaven, uh, he was taken up, he was, the, the, a cloud received him out of their sight. And so that, as we saw, once again, just a little bit of review, that that demonstrated where he was, where he was. So right now, we know from the Scripture, where Jesus is. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And upon that basis, we read Colossians chapter 3. So let's look there real quick. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3. Verse 1. Now follow the wording carefully if you would. Colossians 3 verse 1 says this. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. Now notice that. The mention of the location of Christ. You see, this is another reason why the ascension is so important. Because by the ascension of Christ and the witnesses who saw it and, and, and the fulfillment of the scripture, Psalm 110, we know where Jesus is. And because we know where Jesus is, not 2,000 years ago, but where Jesus is right now. Because we know where he is right now, on that basis, Paul says to the Colossians, set your affections where he is. You know, we think of the verse in Hebrews, which is a common verse that a lot of people quote, and it's a good verse. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. But remember, where is he? Where is he? Now, I know looking unto Jesus is not so much talking about a physical location. It's referring to thinking upon what he has done before us. But But the idea of looking unto Jesus, if you look unto Jesus, if you set your affection on Jesus, then where are you setting your affection? You're setting your affection on things in heaven, things that are eternal, things that are unseen. You think, well, listen, the idea that a Christian, the biblical truth that a Christian is supposed to focus his energies and attention upon things that are not temporal, but eternal, things that are not physical, but spiritual, that is a very, that, that is a very unusual idea. And it's a very foreign idea to people in this world. People in this world live not for eternal things, but for temporal things. People in this world live not for spiritual things, but for physical things. That's why they throw themselves. That's why we once threw ourselves at the flesh and at money, and at 
pride and at honor and, and all these things that this world has to offer. That's what people do. That's why. Because spiritual things and eternal things are not something that appeals to people because it doesn't appeal to the flesh. And because they have a spirit that is dead. And, it's, and those things aren't important to them. But to those of us who are, as the Scripture says, we are risen with Christ. That is, we're alive. We're alive to spiritual things. We're alive to eternal things. And so the Lord says, set your affection on things above. Now, the, again, the whole basis of that is where Jesus is. The Lord's not saying, all right, I've done all these for you, and I've gone somewhere else, and now I want you to look this direction. No, He says, look at me. Look this way. Look this way. But it's, notice what it says in verse 2. It says, in verse 1, it says, seek those things. In verse 2 says, set your affection. What is, what is the affection? What is the affection? Affection primarily deals with what? Your heart. What you love. What motivates you? What is the, the object of your desire? Affection. So we're not talking about duty here. We're talking about what we love. And the Lord says, I am at the right hand of the Father. Look at me. Set your affection on things above. Now notice, let's keep following. Let's keep following as we go on down. Verse 2, I'll read it again. Set your affection on things above. Now he gives the contrast. Not on things on the earth. Now we know, now we know all of us have business to deal with in this world. The Apostle Paul was no different than we are. This idea that somehow that, uh, some of you might have, might have studied and read about the Christian asceticism, you know, the monkhood, and how they would go off into some monastery and they would put away all worldly things thinking that because it's physical, it's evil. And so they would, they would put away all those things. That's, 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 not, that's not true. It's not scriptural. It's not practical. And, but, but that's something people used to think. Well, if all these things, the Lord says, put it off. Well, he doesn't say put it off. He says, set your affection. He says, seek those things. And just because you have to work doesn't mean you're not seeking physical, you're not seeking spiritual things. Just because you have to take care of your kids and your grandkids and you got to pay the bills and you got to go to the doctor and whatever else you might have to do doesn't mean you're not setting your affection. The difference is you can do all of those things while simultaneously having your affection on, on the Lord. It is possible to do that. In other words, you can be a godly believer, disciple of Christ, right with God in every way, 100%, and still work your job. The Lord doesn't require you to, you know, to sell your house and, and go live under a bridge somewhere so that you can be right with God so you won't have any worldly possessions. No. You can be right with God and be a Christian and love God and have Him in the first place in your life and still do all of those things. As long as your affection is set on Him and as long as you are seeking those things which are above. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6? He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's spiritual, right? And His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. In other words, all these things are the earthly things. We all need them. We all have to have food to eat, place to stay, all those kinds of things. But, but those things are not to be what we seek, what our affections are on. And, you know, the truth is all of us deal with this to some degree or another, where, where there's constantly, uh, constantly earthly, temporal things vying and competing for our affection. What we love puts before us. 
It, it enthralls us. It distracts us. You know, you think video games, social media. It might, it might, be, it might be one's job could steal the heart of a believer. It might be that one's own family could steal the heart of a believer away from God. Because you know what? That, that sometimes happens where the blessings of God themselves can be turned into things that pull us away from God. Israel did that all the time. Israel did that all the time. So our affection, what we love, again, where is it to be set? The location where Jesus is. Where is he? He ascended. He's in heaven. So that turns our, our that, turn, that causes us to lift our chin up, lift our head up to where he is because he ascended. And so we keep reading verse 3, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. So if you're, if you're dead, now this is, of course, spiritually speaking. If we're dead and our, and our life is hid with Christ, then that means our life is in heaven. Or is that not what the Scripture says? We are seated together with Him in the, in the heavenly places. That's in another passage of Scripture. But the idea is we're there. This is where we belong, up there. So our affection should be set up there. Our, and you know what? If our affection is set there and we're seeking that, that should help determine our priorities. And it should help determine what is important to us. And when something is important to us, we rearrange everything so that, that we seek that thing first. Right? When you want to spend time with your husband or time with your wife, you rearrange your priorities so that you can do that. When you want to spend time with your kids, last night... Uh, last night, Isaiah, I, did, we, I bought a baseball glove because Isaiah had a baseball glove and uh, he had a baseball, but I did not have a baseball glove. At least the one I had used, I guess, was messed up or something. So anyway, we went out the other day and we bought a ba- I bought a baseball glove so I could uh, play base- throw the baseball with him. And so last night, no joke, I got home, I was kind of tired and I didn't know it and he didn't really tell me, but he wanted to throw the baseball and I was already pretty tired. And so by the time I, by the time I, you know, got the message, shall we say, that he wanted to throw the baseball, it was like nine o'clock. It was getting dark. I was already in my jammers. Seriously. But you know what I had to do? If I, if I was going to prioritize that and set what is important to me in its proper place, you know, I had to rearrange some things. So, you know, I just put on my tennis shoes in my jammers and went in the backyard and we threw the baseball. You re- in other words, the point is where your affection is, what's important to you, what you're seeking, you rearrange what you got to rearrange so that you can do that thing. And in this case, what this is telling us is eternal things, spiritual things, things related to your Lord. That's what it's about. Verse 4 says, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, notice the mention of his coming. We're going to get to that in a minute. Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Verse 5. Mortify therefore. You see that? Therefore. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. So what he's doing in verse 5 is he's explaining what it means to seek those things which are above. Where Christ is. In other words, because Christ is in heaven. Heaven is holy because Christ is holy, take a look at your life here. Is your life consistent with someone who is seeking things which are above, right? 
which are upon the earth. Verse 5, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil, evil concupiscence, and covetous. Any, is anybody in here guilty of concupiscence? You better not be. Like, what does that mean? I hope nobody in here is guilty of anything listed here because this is pretty bad stuff here. And covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So this, this deals with our affection because of where Christ is. So let me just say it concisely like this. Because we know where Jesus is presently, this helps to set our affections where they should properly be, where He is. All right, next thing I want you to see back in Acts chapter 1 is this. We know that Jesus, verse 9, is in heaven, seated at the right hand of God. That tells us one thing. We know, because we know where Jesus is, we then know where He's not. You know where He's not? He's not here. Why is that important? Jesus is not here. What's the whole purpose of the, of the Holy Spirit? The whole purpose of the Holy Spirit is because He is not the comforter. He was said, I will send another comforter. Jesus is a comforter. We've already covered this uh, last week. Jesus is the comforter, but because He's not here, He sent another comforter. That means he, he, as the first comforter, is not present. And you know what? If the king is not present, then that means the kingdom is not physical. If you look at John chapter 18, verse 36, when Pilate questions, I'll read it really quick because we're just a couple pages away. John 18, verse 36 Pilate is questioning Jesus in private. John 18, 36 says this. Uh, verse 35 says, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is, notice the now, that's a key, a key word. Now is my kingdom not from hence. Jesus isn't here. The king is absent. When you read the parables, some of the parables in, in the Gospels, what you find is this, uh, the, over and over you find this parable where this king or this lord or this landowner goes off to a far place and in his absence, all this still belongs to him. His kingdom still belongs to him. But in his absence, he has things for them to do. But, but, it's, but he hasn't come to take the kingdom quite yet. And that's what we're reading here. Jesus is not here. What is here in Jesus' plate is, is the Holy Spirit. So Jesus' kingdom is spiritual. That's the key. Because the king himself is not physically present. There will be a day that Jesus will be physically present. And at that time, there will be a physical kingdom. But right now, that's not the way it is. That's not the way it is. He is present in the person of the Holy Spirit. His kingdom is not of this world. So that, that, what does this mean? That means because Jesus is not present, he, how do we know that? Because of his ascension. Because of where the scripture says he is. If he's not here then he certainly is not reigning as a king, that is in a physical sense. I mean, of course, he's our king. We are his subjects, spiritually speaking. That's why he tells us to look up to where he is, the king is. But physically, there is no kingdom. So what, that, what does that do? That, call, that helps us to understand the purpose of the church. 
what kinds of things do we need to be involved? Are we building a kingdom here? I know, I know in modern parlance and religious, religious lingo these days, everything's about the kingdom. You know, you read about the kingdom this and the kingdom that. And really, you know, that kind of language is kind of a stretch a little bit. We talk about the kingdom and building the kingdom and those kinds of things. The Lord didn't say much about building a kingdom. He said a lot about preaching the gospel, making disciples, but he didn't say a whole lot about building a kingdom. But okay, but I'll give, I'll grant. We'll just say, we're going to build a kingdom. Well, that kingdom's spiritual. So we're going back to square one, which is, go you therefore, teach all nations, baptizing. That's where we're going back to. And that helps set our focus so we don't get distracted with things that, that, are, that, that, you know, that, that aren't the central focus and primary purpose of the church. And so it helps, you know, it helps us. You know, even you talk about political things and those kinds of things, you know, the... Progressives, leftists are terrified that Christians are trying to create a theocracy. Did you know that? That's one of their big fears. They think, you know, when, when, when Christians are against abortion or against the, you know, sexual deviancy and it's all of its multitude forms, they think, oh, you're just trying to create a theocracy. They are really afraid of that. <laughs> but you know what? We're not. We're not. We're just trying to tell the truth. We don't have any grand plans to transform in the United States into an Israel version 2 or anything like that. We're waiting on the Lord to come. We're just going to be salt. We're going to be light. We're going to tell people about Jesus. That's our job. We're not trying to create some sort of structure, religious structure that is political or anything like that. Because Jesus, we know where he is. That helps us to understand the nature of his kingdom. And therefore, what we should be doing. Third thing I want you to see is because we know where Jesus is, we know that John 16, verse 7, we've already covered this, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, Jesus saying to the disciples before he died. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. You see that? Jesus had to ascend so that the comforter could come. They could not, for whatever reason, that I, I don't know the answer, but they could not be present at the same time in their ministry. Jesus was the comforter, as I said previously. When he departed, he sent another comforter. He says... For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. That's pretty clear, I would say. So part of Jesus' ascension was to trigger, was to set up so that the Comforter could come. In fact, he said, if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, this is why that's important. And we've already covered this, so I'm, 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 I'm repeating a little bit, but just hang, hang in there. And when he is come, that's the Holy Spirit, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, that's talking about the ministry of the Spirit of God in the church to the world. Okay, so, so follow me on this. Jesus is gone. He was with the disciples. He was on earth, rather, for 33 years. Now he's not physically present anymore. But the Spirit of God is not like that. Jesus was a physical man. He was 100% man, right? Do we, we understand Christ, Christology? Jesus was 100% man, 
while being also 100% God. That means because he was 100% man, that means he was only in one place at one time. That's what it means to be a human being, right? You're limited to the physical world. Unlike Jesus, though, the Holy Spirit is not limited to one place at one time because he is a spirit, right? So Jesus left physically so that the Spirit could come. And because the Spirit of God is not limited to a single place in time, the Spirit of God, rather, is in every believer everywhere. Remember the mark, the seal of the genuine, genuine article. He can therefore work in all places and all times and at all times. That means while we're having our service here and we're, while we're maybe passing out a gospel tract or witnessing to someone here in Greenville, someone in, in uh, let's see, Bulgaria could be doing the same thing with the help of the Holy Spirit also. And no matter where it is, if there is a believer, the Spirit of God is present because He's in the believer. Now, here's why that's important. Because it was God's intention and plan to fulfill His work in the earth, to get the gospel to every creature. Right? That was, remember, and when He has come, He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, John 16. That is the Spirit of God in the believer. And so because of the ascension, now follow me all the way through. Therefore, because of the ascension, the, uh, the Holy Spirit has come, which enables us to bring the gospel to the whole world. Because Jesus left. Jesus left, Spirit came, Spirit fills the believer. Believer then, by the power of the Spirit of God, takes the gospel to the world. And that all happened because He ascended. He sent the Spirit. The Spirit is everywhere. Number four. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, if you would. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. This goes back to Psalm 110 that we read this morning. I won't read it again, but you'll, uh, I'm sure you'll remember when we read Ephesians 1 verse 20, the Bible says this, talking about His resurrection. Verse 20 says, "...which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places." Notice the mention of where Jesus is. Okay? "...far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under His feet, and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all." You see that? Because Jesus, Psalm 110, verse 1, says, "...the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool." In other words... The Lord, because He's sitting at the right hand, which is the place of power, the place of authority, of supreme honor. That's where Jesus is. He's not at the right hand of some king. He's at the right hand of the Almighty God. That means everything over which the Almighty has control, so Jesus has control. So He ascended to take that place 
You remember he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about that. Jesus is the supreme. He is the supreme authority that exists. Period. And that is indicated by his ascension and his being seated at the right hand of God. Now, when you look up this, the idea of the right hand of God, you do a Bible search for right hand. In the New Testament, you're going to find a lot of references, not one or two. By far, the most, the, the greatest majority of references to Jesus being seated at the right hand of God deals with his authority, deals with his power. And one day, and this goes into our fifth point, and one day he will come to take that authority. And that's the last thing that this indicates. Go back to Acts chapter 1. Verse 11. These angels, you know, I have no idea why these angels appeared. I have no idea why these angels appeared. Uh, the Bible doesn't say, and it seems like an, an odd place for them to appear. It's almost like the disciples were, gonna, were just standing there far too long. Who knows how long? Maybe they were standing there an hour, maybe two hours. I don't know how long they were looking into heaven. But for whatever reason, the angels appeared, and here's what they said. Verse 11, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Which is to say, what are you doing? What's the purpose of you doing this? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So here it is, the last thing. The ascension of Christ is important because it is strongly implies his return. The Lord cannot return unless he departs. That's the key. How do I know that? Because John 14, familiar verses, I'll read them to you, says this. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go, that's his ascension, to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. You see, he can't come again unless he's left. So he said in John 14, I go, I'm leaving. He was taken up. And so that tells us that he's coming back. Now, if he just like disintegrated into the ether or whatever, you know, he just like vaporized or was transported, beam me up or whatever. And they did not physically, they couldn't say he left. No, but he left physically. He left physically. And because he left, he says, if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now, someone might, might think, well, that's just talking about the Spirit of God coming, where Jesus is going to come back. No, no, no. This is talking about our changing places. He says, that where I am, there ye may be also. This is not God coming to where we are. This is us going to where he is. This is the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ. So the ascension strongly indicates that Jesus will return. And it's a, you know, when Jesus left, imagine, put yourself in the place of the disciples here. Ask yourself, 
What would you be thinking if Jesus had risen at this point? You don't have all the knowledge of the of uh, 2,000 years of theology and the rest of the New Testament and all those things to clarify all this. You might ask yourself, well, there he goes. Do you see him, John? You, no, he's gone. I, I don't see him. You know, Thomas, you, you got good eyesight. Do you see him? No, he's gone. A natural question might be asked at that point is, well, what's next? Is he coming back? Now, they should know the answer. All the times Jesus talked about his coming. Remember, before he died, has anyone ever thought it odd that Jesus talked about his second coming before he even died? But he did. Just some examples. Matthew 24, 27. Mark 8, 38. Luke 12, 40. Luke 18, 18, 8. All these places Jesus talked about his second coming before his first coming was done. So there were hints here and there that Jesus gave them that he was going to leave and then he was going to come back. But perhaps they just, you know, like many things, the disciples just didn't get it at the time. And that's okay. We, we understand that. But because he left, all of a sudden, all of those instances where Jesus talks about his second coming before he died, makes sense. All those things he said, he's like, okay, now we know the stage is set. He's coming back. And that's what the angels confirm. He's coming back. But look at the manner in which he comes. Notice the first thing they say. This same Jesus. This is the same one who was born of Mary. He's the same one who lived a righteous 33 years. He's the same one who did the miracles. He's the same one who died on the cross. He's the same one who came out of the grave. The same Jesus would return the Jesus that would return is the same person, not Jesus in another form. Why do I say this? I've mentioned this before a long time ago, but in Greenville, South Carolina, there is a cult that originally started in Korea. It was a nationalistic Korean cult. It's called the World Mission Society Church of God. I know so much about it because they're everywhere in Cambodia, but my daughter has actually been approached by someone from this cult, both Koreans and Americans. And this cult teaches that Jesus came again in the form of a Korean man in the 80s who was born in Korea. You say, well, that's crazy. Well, there's a lot of people that believe it. But here, here good Bible knowledge will dispel that. It says, what does it say? This same Jesus. Not Jesus in another form. The physical person with the marks of the nails, the prints of the nails, the same person with the print of the, where the spear pierced his side, the same one who died, the same one who rose, the same one who appeared to the disciples, the same one they touched and felt and they heard his voice, the same person right now is in heaven. Yeah, that's why the ascension is so important because that person went up there and he's up there right now. And when he returns, it'll be that same person who's up. He'll just change locations to come down here. That's why it's so important to understand his ascension. He's, he didn't like alter forms or anything like that. It's, it's the same. That's why it's also important to understand that Jesus was a 100% man. He is still a human being. Now he's glorified. He has victory over death, but he is still a human being. 
And so he will come again. This same Jesus, not in another form. But it also says, in shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go in heaven. Now how, the only way you can understand that is to read how he left. How did he leave? Jesus left visibly. Jesus left physically. Jesus left publicly. Jesus left in the clouds. Jesus left from the Mount of Olives. Visible, physical, public, in the clouds, from the Mount of Olives. You know what the Bible says? In like manner will he return. That tells us that the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, is not a spiritual coming. It's not, and, and this is a, listen, this is popular Protestant theology. This is not uncommon. There's people have believed this a long time. Roman Catholicism teaches that Jesus' coming was spiritual. And that the church, the, the, the Catholic church is, that is the kingdom of God. That's what the Roman Catholic church is called. I mentioned before, amillennialism. But the idea is that Jesus came, Jesus coming has already happened and it, it was spiritual. But that doesn't mesh with verse 11. Jesus, Jesus ascended to his father visibly, physically, publicly in the clouds from the Mount of Olives. He will return physically, physically, publicly in the clouds to the Mount of Olives to set up his kingdom. But you note to conclude, in, in uh, verse 7, they ask for the time. Lord, when is this going to happen? You're leaving. When is all the, are you going to set up your kingdom? But no time element is given. Jesus just doesn't answer the question. He doesn't say a long time. He doesn't say short time. He just doesn't tell them. He just says, this is your job. It is left unanswered. You know what? This agrees with many other parts of Scripture. You know, in 1962, how many of you, how many of you were alive in 1962? A few of you. Man, not very many. But Brother Vernon's not here. I'm not sure if Miss Pam, if she would, she would, uh, she would remember. In in October of night, <laughs> I'm sorry, something attacked Sister Angela a minute ago. <laughs> I guess I, I guess I see things that other people don't see. So. In October of 1962 was the Cuban Missile Crisis. Does anybody remember that? Now, was that a scary time? I'm sure it was all over the news and things like that, where Russia, Soviet Union, had put nuclear missiles, and it, they really did. And as I learned later, if you do some research on that, that was almost a very, very bad day. It could have went bad very, very quickly. Uh, but anyway, the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962, uh, Soviet Union put nuclear missiles on Cuba, uh, presumably pointed at the United States, and there was a standoff, right? And the United States thought that they were going to use those nuclear missiles. And so they were preparing, but no timetable was given. You see what I'm saying? It was, this is what, what we call imminent, Imminent. In other words, because you know something is going to happen, you know that it must happen, but you have no idea when it'll happen. And when you have no time, you know what that means? That means it could happen at any time. This is the definition of imminence. This is what Jesus did. 
Now, we, we can talk about the signs of the times, all those things, but listen, that doesn't solve the problem. When Jesus says, I ain't telling you the time, paraphrasing, I'm not telling you the time. He's saying, anytime. You know he's gone. His ascension proves that. But his coming is imminent. It could happen any time. And normally when something is imminent, everything on our life is put on hold to prepare for that event. But in this case, the Lord doesn't say, okay, go hide in a bunker somewhere because Jesus is coming any moment. No, he doesn't say that. You know what he says? Rather, I bet some of you can guess. Verse 8. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea. This was the Lord's response to his statement that his coming was imminent. Don't go hide in a bunker. You have a job to do. Don't worry about the time. When it's time, I'll be here. But this is what you need to be doing instead of hiding in a bunker. We prepare for his imminent return by being occupied with his work on earth. We have a job to do in the meantime. So that's, that's why it's so dangerous. You know, you see people that get distracted and derailed all this emphasis on the signs of the times. Is this that? Is this the, you know, is there a red heifer in Israel? Are they building the temple? And you get, is all this happening? It's close. It could be. No, you don't need to worry about that. They were already doing that 2,000 years ago, right? They were already doing that. Trying to figure out the time. Forget that. You have a job to do. We have a job to do. The Lord's coming is imminent. You don't need to worry about the time. You need to know that it could be any time. And in the meantime, you need to be occupied with the work that God has given us to do. Let's pray.